We're in Luke chapter number 6. Just a quick uh, review of this morning. We talked about this this morning. Today, we're talking about two main thoughts. Number one is really serving the Lord. Serving God with eternity in view. That is our theme for the month of March. And we see that in Luke chapter 6, Jesus is choosing from all of his disciples, 12, that will, he'll make apostles. He will send them forth for a specific purpose. And uh, with that in mind, as I, as I think about serving the Lord with eternity in view, these men had to be captured with eternity. They had to have eternity in their minds to do what they did. And of course, just a review of who they are. First of all, we know that Jesus prayed all night prior to selecting these 12 out of his disciples. Now, let me just remind you, there's two groups. Uh, one group is the disciples. That means they, they were disciplined followers of Jesus. But this is not the 12 disciples he picked out. These are 12 apostles he picked out from his multitudes that had disciplined themselves to follow him. We can see that in the passage. Let's just look at it real quick. Go back to chapter 6 and look at verse number 12. And it came to pass in those days that he went out into a mountain to pray. He continued there how long? In prayer to God. So, by the way, in the book of Luke, Jesus is the man. He's the son of man. And how many, if Jesus prayed, guess who else needs to pray? <laughs> I do, and you do. Yes, we need to be faithful to do that. And he knew that. I, don't, I think he was a God-man, so I don't think he was praying, asking for discernment necessarily who he's going to pick. He might have been doing that. But I probably think he was praying that they would say yes. He was praying that their hearts would be ready to receive the, the special job that he had for them. Because these ones were not going to necessarily pastor churches. They were going to go to the known world and share the gospel. And they did. And, uh, but uh, God, God picked them. And he ordained that they would be with him and he would send them forth. Uh, a disciple is a disciplined follower of Jesus. An apostle is someone who is a sent messenger. He's been sent to do something. And these are the 12 apostles that he's going to give here. So I think, first of all, we see, first of all, prayer is an essential. Number two, we see there's a process. He had many people following him. I think he even references this, and I, don't, I, won't, I wouldn't build a doctrine on this, but he said many are called, but few are chosen. I think we see that uh, all of us, many are called to, to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, all of us would, should want, in our heart of hearts, to be a disciplined follower of Jesus. We want to be a disciple of the Lord. Think about that old that fellow that uh, he was... Um, he was um, martyred in Africa, and when they went back to his, his room, they found this little statement. I can't remember all of it, but it said something like this. I am a part of the fellowship of the unashamed. The die has been cast. I've stepped over the line. I am a disciple of Jesus Christ. I'm not going to turn back, step away, or be still. He said, my past is redeemed. My future makes sense. I'm finished and done with low living, smooth knees, colorless dreams, and dwarfed goals. Because I want to, and he goes on to talk about how his passion is to please the Lord. And he met the Lord through Martin as a martyr. But I think about, as I think about him, I think about these men did the same thing. And the Lord's, he called them out. And there were many who were following Jesus, many disciples listened to him. 
As a matter of fact, he's going to preach the, uh, the Sermon on the Mount to many of the, of, the, of the disciplined followers of the Lord. They're not just 12 or 24 eyeballs looking at him, but 12 of them were called out. And he chose them. If you could see that in verse number, verse number uh, four, 13. And when it was day, he called unto him his disciples. And of them, of the disciples, he chose 12, whom also he named apostles. And then, of course, I think Paul was another apostle born out of, new of due time. But verse number 14 begins to tell us who they are. It's kind of interesting. There are two Simons in the group. There are two Jameses. And there are two Judases. Uh, in the group. Now, there was one of the Judases. They also called him Thaddeus, so that would be a Labius, which is his other name. Um, Simon, Peter. Jesus said, you know, your name is Simon, but I'm going to call you Peter or Cephas. He uh, changed his name, and so he became that. The other guy was Simon uh, Zelotes, or uh, Simon of Canaanite, as one of the uh, gospel writers mentions there. And then James was the brother of John, and there was another James, the less they called him, or James Alphaeus. It's interesting, too, there were at least two sets of brothers in the 12. And you see James and John, you see Peter and Andrew, and potentially uh, one of the other, other sets of brothers, and that's a little bit debatable, so we don't want to be loud where God's silent. But, um, but I think there may have been as many as three sets of brothers. And you can see several things there. You see some sibling uh, help there, people who, guys who got each other. In all the Gospels, they are kind of listed for us as uh, it looks like to me, there, there are three groups. There's 12 disciples, there's three groups, and each group has a kind of a, a point man. Peter being one, Philip being one, and James being one. And he seems to be one of those guys or, or overseeing uh, three others, or at least like they're in that group. And then he, he, he lists them in, in pairs too, because he would send them out sometime in his ministry. And you can see the Lord Jesus did several things developing these servants. Number one, he chose the ones he would work with. Number two, he would spend time with them. You can't leapfrog time. And there's no success without successors. You're going to have to get time. Every once in a while, someone wants to come up with something that happens fast. If it took Jesus Christ three and a half years to train 12, it might take you a little time too <laughs> to work on two or three or four or five or six. And it's always a process involved. But he continued to work. And, and the reason people don't disciple people, large in part, is because it's not a walk in the park. It's not easy. It's challenging to disciple someone. And many folks, they just don't have the constitution and the heart and the passion to do it because it's not going to be done on spare time and pocket change. And the Lord Jesus understood that. But he, uh, he, he was going to work with them. He's going to help them. And he, he gave them jobs, so he sent them out by twos as time goes on. But he, first of all, he selected them. Then he associated, spent time with them. He insisted on their obedience. You can see the disciples did not, the apostles did not argue with Jesus in a foxhole. They just did what he told them to do. They had questions. They didn't understand what he wanted to do, and they asked him later, and he was very able to talk with them and explain what he was doing. But at the time, he wanted them to do it. If he wanted the men to sit down in groups of 50 and 100, that's what they did. If he wanted them to untie a donkey and bring a, a, a looks like it's stealing a, a someone's car, you know, a, a carjacking, you know, it looked like they just like, I don't know, we got to go do this, you know. Anything he asked them to do, go secure a room, 
for the Last Supper, and, and they like, what are we going to do? Just, just go do it. I've already talked to everybody. Go over and do it. And they just went over there and figured it out. He didn't, he didn't need a lot of arguments. He just wanted, he wanted to consistently know that they would obey him. By the way, that's the kind of servant you and I should be, obeying every spiritual impulse that God gives us. If he asks us to do it, let's don't argue in the foxhole. Let's just obey the Lord. If you're standing across the gas pump with someone, you see someone over there, and the Spirit of God says, give them a track, you can say, well, I don't know. Don't argue. Just give them a track. When God wants you to, to lend or to share with something or give to a project or pray for a person, don't argue. Just do it. Obey the Lord quickly. And these folks, he insisted on, on consecration on their behalf. He gave of himself to them. He imparted to them himself. Even when he went to heaven, he said, you know, it's kind of good for me to go away because when I go away, I'm going to impart to you who? The Holy Spirit. But while he was here, he gave of himself to them. And by the way, you can, uh, you can influence people from afar, but you'll only impact people up close. That's why I plead with you to disciple someone. Spend time with somebody. Not all of us are going to preach behind pulpits, but every one of us can influence someone for the Lord Jesus Christ. And you're going to have to do that up close. They're going to need to learn about you. It's going to cost you something. It's going to be something you need to do. And Jesus gave of himself to them. He was with them in good times and bad times. He imparted himself to them. And then he demonstrated to them what to do. He showed them how to minister to people, how to face opposition that they were going to face one day, how to handle large people when they would do the Pentecost and have to baptize 3,000 people at one day. They knew how to do that because they watched the Savior feed 5,000 and 4,000 in another place. They, they watched how he handled people. When they would be standing in front of opposition and false, false accusations and rulers, they remember Pilate. They remember Herod. They remember Annas and Caiaphas. They remember the Pharisees and the Sadducees and all those who would come in. And they said, here's how Jesus handled it. Here's how we got to handle that. So he demonstrated for them what to do. And then he uh, did not, didn't just demonstrate them. Then he delegated them responsibility by all of us. There's a time where you need to sit and, and soak in and learn and observe, but there needs to come a time when all of us step up and get involved and not just watch the world go by, but, okay, what is it that God made me to do and where can I get involved? What can I do to, to help make good things better? And he, he gave them responsibility and they got involved. And then he would supervise and see what they did and how they did it and they would talk about it. One time they went out by twos and they came back and there wasn't much to talk about because they realized they weren't ready for this. And then he sent them out again. And when they came back, they said, oh, man, it was unbelievable. The demons were subject to us. It was unbelievable. I cast that guy out and this one over here. And he said, calm down, boys. Stay low. Go slow. No one ever fell off the floor. <laughs> he said, look, uh, look here. Just don't rejoice that the demons listen to you. Rejoice that your name is written in the book of life. Stay close to your salvation and know that you're mine, and I'm going to help you. Just remind you, by the way, when God uses you to do something, that's a good time to stay low. That's a good time to realize you need him as much the day after he uses you that you need him the day before. We're having prayer meetings for the, for the conference coming up. But, well, we ought to have prayer meetings of gratitude and, and pleading God's help after the conference. 
saying, God, thank you very much for helping us and thank you for doing it and help us to continue to roll with this. But uh, after God uses you, he said, he said, it's great, I'm glad thou that, but just rejoice your name is written in heaven. And he discussed it with them. And then when he went back to heaven and he went up, his spirit came down, they went out and set the world upside down. I'm thinking about this. What, what gave these men such power? And it's interesting to me that Jesus, he kind of put them together. And if you look at there, you'll look in verse number 14. You'll see that Simon, who was named Peter, and Andrew, his brother. So it looks like to me, Simon, if you, if you, if, let me just someone raise your hand and tell me, what is something we know about Peter? What do we know about Peter? What comes to your mind when you think about Peter? Yes, ma'am. He was stubborn, okay, Sarah. Impulsive, yeah. He was impulsive. He was, anybody else have something else come to mind? Yes, sir. He was like him. He spoke up. Yeah, Linda. Somewhat arrogant. Remember when Jesus was washing feet? What did he say? You're never going to wash my feet. He said, if I don't wash your feet, you have no part of me. Oh, then wash my head too, would you? <laughs> you know, he, he just, he would flip-flop pretty quickly. You know, he was the kind, he was the fellow that's like, I'll never deny thee. I'll die for you. He said, before the cock crows tomorrow morning, you'll be denying me three times. No way. Sure enough, that's what happened. I think Peter was impulsive, but he was used of God. He was, took him a while to figure some stuff out, to become reliant upon the Lord. But God gave him to Andrew. You know, Andrew was his, little, was his brother. Andrew brought, Jesus, brought Peter to Jesus. He brought the Greeks to Jesus. He brought the little boy and his lunch to Jesus. I, Andrew wrote no books of the Bible. Peter wrote two of them. Andrew, there's no messages he ever recorded. He wasn't, he wasn't behind the pulpit. Seems like too much. At least what he said is not recorded in the Holy Script. But he was just, he was the behind-the-scene guy that worked with his brother and complimented his brother. James and John. James and John, they were, they were brothers they were sons of Zebedee, who was very known for a fisherman. But uh, they were called the, the sons of, of thunder. They were just, they seemed like to me, they were just some, they were some, 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 some real excitable guys. Whenever they found some people that said they loved God, but they didn't, they didn't walk with Jesus, they said, hey, can we strike down with, with fire, you know? Can we, can we knock them out right now, you know? No, 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 calm down, man. They're not against us, they're for us. But it's interesting that they put, God put them together. Now, James was the first one to die. He was the first one to be killed. And John was the last one to die. John would not die as a martyr. He would be boiled in oil and left for, and, and, and exiled on the island of Patmos and received the book of the Revelation. He was probably a teenager when Jesus chose him to work with him. He lived the longest, and yet his older brother would be the first to die. And you see that I think as I look at this, and I don't, have a, I don't have a clear understanding, and the last grouping, the last four, which is, which is James the Less and, and, uh, and Simon Zelotes and Judas and Judas Iscariot, we know the least about. But it looks like to me God put them together. And Judas, uh, the, the second, the first, not Judas Iscariot, but the other guy, uh, his name is also Thaddeus, and, and, and it just means an, a special love for God. It's interesting, he put someone with a special love for God with a guy who was a traitor. 
You know, the Bible says uh, that uh, love covers the what? Yeah, it's interesting. A guy who was known for special love was put together with a guy who was a, a charlatan, a traitor, a fake. Uh, he would probably has been in hell for 2,000 years, potentially. So God puts them together, and I think as we look at these men, I think several things about them, the power that they had came from the person of Jesus Christ. He ordained them that they would be with him. I think also that we see here that they were obedient and committed. I think there's two things that give us peace. And some of our people in this room, you got peace, and some of you don't have peace. And I don't know who you are, and it's not really... And I think there's two pieces we have to have. Number one, we have to have peace with God, and that comes when we get saved. How many remember when the burden of sin was lifted and you knew you were going to heaven, you're so grateful, and you had peace with God? You know that he's not against you, you're not going to hell, you have eternal life. I was talking to, and several folks today got saved this morning. Just really thrilling to see that. And not only in our service here, but in the Spanish service, the Chinese people heard the gospel, the junior churches, the bus, the, the teen center, the bus, the A-teens, and the, the Chicagoland teens. The gospel was preached. One lady got saved. I remember meeting her right over here, and she got saved on the way home on the bus going back to Chicago. I met Kendall Oldham, and I th- thank God for Kendall. And she, uh, she brought a lady to Christ today, and she was her friend, and, and she got to lead her to Christ uh, on the way home. I talked to another young lady who brought a lady, Patricia, and, and she came at the end of the service, just tears flowing. I said, Patricia, she said, Pastor, my friend Patricia got saved. And I said, is that true? And Patricia just began to hold her hand in her face and just cry. And said, yes, it's true. I'm saved, and I know that. And it's a beautiful testimony. Men got saved this morning. We rejoice with that. And I think it's what, it's what ought to happen every, every day. People ought to hear the gospel. And really, it's not our job to bring the world to Christ. Our job is to get Christ to the world. You can't bring someone to Christ, but you can get Christ to them. That's why we want to be a part of missions. That's why we want to be a part of personal soul. That's why we want to obey every impulse of God. But when we get saved, we have peace with God. But one thing we need after we're saved, we don't need peace with God anymore because he's not our enemy. Uh, we, we're good. But what I do need is the peace of God. And the peace of God comes through prayer and commitment. There may be other things that bring you peace. But when you are a person of prayer, you're going to find peace. And you've got to have peace to make progress. And commitment gives us peace. Uh, usually, I remember years ago, whenever the Lord... Uh, laid on your heart to call me and ask me and Linda to, or Linda and I to come and be a part of this church family. How humble we are. But man, I was tore up for like three weeks. I had no peace. You know when I got peace? When I said yes. <laughs> and I came. Then it was over. I was pretty sure I was supposed to marry Linda when I got married to her. I mean, I loved her. I knew that. But I was about 99.9% sure when I stood on the altar this was a good thing. But I had a little bit of doubt. You know when that doubt went away? When I got married. <laughs> it was over. I had no, no, there's, no, there's no other options. That was up now. Now I'm all in. You heard the little argument between the pig and the chicken on what gives the most to breakfast, you know. And uh, the pig said, oh, listen, chicken, you make, a, you make a contribution. I make a commitment. <laughs> and, you know, the truth of the matter is all of us need to be committed. We need to be committed to doing what God wants us to do. And these men were committed, they were obedient, they were diligent, they worked hard. I I see this with Jesus, he was a hard worker. 
He said, I must work the works of him who sent me while his day, the night cometh when no man can work. What does, that, what does that tell you about Jesus? He was diligent. He was up early. He was up late. He prayed all night. He, he ministered to the people. He was a hardworking man, and I think these men caught on to that. And all of them, just about all of them, I wouldn't say all of them, Nathaniel, uh, maybe, maybe not so much, but uh, Jesus knew him when he was sitting under a tree and recognized him and told him about that, and that really convinced him that he was the Messiah. But you see, the, what were, what were the Peter, James, and John doing when he found them? They were, they were working with their nets, right? What was, what was Matthew doing? Look at the people. He, he picks busy people. He picks working people. And I, I want to just say, and I, 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 in prayer, in preparation for this message, I started getting overwhelmed with gratitude for the, the hardworking people of our ministry. We're not, we're not better church than anybody else. We may be a little bit above average, but we're nowhere near God's normal for us. But we got some hardworking people in this ministry, and I thank God for you. I was praying this week and preparing for this message. I thought about the precious girls in our ministry, the ladies. I want to thank you for being such godly, submissive, holy, uh, sober, sober ladies. Thank you for having a heart for God. Thank you for getting involved in WMS. Thank you for writing thank you letters and, and, and birthday cards to our ladies. And thank you for cleaning and working and doing things that are just very special and bringing the spirit of Christ into this room and into this ministry. Our girls are amazing, our ladies and our sweet, good, godly uh, young ladies and good, good men. Thank you for working hard. But why did God use them? They were rallied around the person of Jesus. They were obedient and committed. They were hardworking. And then I think it's interesting there, God used the eclectic synergy of their, of their, of their gifts and their strengths to work together. You know, someone, I think it was, it was um, the guy, uh, Henry Ford, you know, he talked about coming together is a, is a, is a process and, and starting things, you know, and, and staying together. But, boy, working together is really where a lot of things get going. And I see when people re begin to work together, and these men, and they had issues. I told you this morning, Peter and John, man, they, uh, they, they went head to head. Peter was probably older, stronger. I mean, he fished with him for all of his life. John was probably young and a teenager, and, and he was always around Jesus and definitely had a love for Christ. And after Peter gets his face ripped off and lovest thou me more than these, and after he figures out what he's supposed to do, you follow me and feed my sheep. And so what are you going to do with John? So, well, if I want to keep him around until I come back, what is that to thee? You follow me. You stay in your lane. By the way, it's a good thing for all of us to do is stay in our lane. <laughs> You know, the Bible tells us in the book of Hebrews that be diligent, watch, be careful, beware, lest any root of, of, of bitterness spring up and trouble you. But before it says that, it talks about follow peace with all men. And it's in context of running a race. And you've got a race to run. And you only got so much time to do it. You've got so much time to be effective in the work of God. But one thing I know this, you'll never run your race effective if you're fighting with the guy beside you. You're spending time looking at him and slapping over at him and like that. You're, you're getting passed up. And you're not doing what you're supposed to do. He said, follow peace with all men, without which no man can see the Lord. Nothing skews our, our, our spiritual vision like interpersonal problems with other people. And usually it's all seated in pride and arrogance, selfishness, 
and it destroys the work of God. It doesn't, it doesn't promote it. And the devil is a sower of discord among the brethren. Listen, when you have a negative feeling about someone in this ministry or your ministry that you serve in, quickly take that thought and cast it out. When you have a moment of criticism, decide you're going to change that to a compliment. When you have a moment of, of frustration, change it to a place of gratitude and say, God, thank you for that person, and please bless them, and thank you for being patient with me. Help me be patient with them. Because we just don't have time to sleep fighting with each other. We're trying to pull the same way. We're going the same direction. We have a potential to reach for the Lord Jesus Christ. Arguing with each other and, and following peace with all men is what God... Following peace with all men will, will help us. Arguing with each other is going to create more issues and play right into satanic hands. But you know these disciples, when the Spirit of God came upon them, they figured it out. Oh, John and James wanted to be on the right hand and the left hand in the kingdom. But after, after Jesus went to heaven, they figured that out and the Holy Spirit came. Then Peter and John went up to the temple to pray. They figured that out. And by the way, prayer unites our hearts too. But then lastly, I think, is they, they were responsible with the gospel. They realized there, it wasn't about getting their name in the paper. It wasn't about getting a pat in the back or a kick in the pants. It was about how can I get the gospel to another person? How can I share the gospel? How can I be faithful? And I think all of them were committed to that. Wherever they went, people came to know Christ. And that's what kind of life I want to have, and that's the life I think you want to have. And that's what, that's what made them great servants of the Lord. Well, after Jesus picked them, then he gathered the people together. And from this particular audience, there were people from Tyre and Sidon. There were people from Jerusalem and Judea. There were people from Galilee. It was a large group of people. And he healed them. And he helped them. And then he taught them. And the book of Luke, chapter 6, he gave us, uh, looks like Luke to me gives us kind of an abridge or a... Uh, an abridgment of, the, of the, the Sermon on the Mount. If you want to read the entire Sermon on the Mount, it's probably found, it will be found in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. The greatest message ever preached uh, and was preached by our Savior, I think, is fantastic. But what he does, he sets up his kingdom mentality. You know, when we pray the Lord's prayer, that, that prayer that, that the Lord prayer gave to us, he basically said, Our Father which art in heaven. So we're, we're addressing our Heavenly Father. Number two, uh, he says, hallowed be thy, he said, boy, your name. Everything is about your name. It's by your name we get saved. Your name of the Lord's a strong tower. He begins to praise his attributes, beginning with his name. So we see the person of, of, of the Heavenly Father. We see the praise that he deserves. And then we find, he says, thy kingdom come, thy what? He's now he says, here's the program of God. When you're praying, you're praying to get in line with two things the kingdom of God, and the will of God. Because you ask anything according to his will, what is that? He does it. And prayer is not trying to get my will done in heaven. It's trying to get heaven's will done in my life. It's saying, Lord, I want to pray in a way that would agree with what you're trying to accomplish. And the way you think and the way you feel about things and what your will is. And so I think he tells us here, and, and Luke just kind of takes that Matthew 5, 6, and 7, if it is the same time. It may not be. There are some scholars who believe that it was just a, Jesus preached this message at another place, and I would understand that. Occasionally I'll preach someplace, or Brother Abdel will preach someplace, or Brother Eddie, and, and uh, God has used the message I've preached here, so I'll preach it someplace in Florida, and then I'm, I'm going over to California, and I'll preach the same message there. It just may be a little bit different. 
but I'll be, 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 uh, be putting it toward that group there. And that may have been what Jesus did. But at any rate, he gave us a Sermon on the Mount, and I won't take time to go all over it, but let's just look at a few things that God is now saying, if you're going to be my servants, and you are my servants, you're the my sent ones, you're my apostles, all these folks are called, but you're chosen to be my apostles, I want, you to, I want to teach you how I think, and I think very different than how you think. And he's going to instruct them on how to think as a servant of Christ. Let's look at some of these thoughts, and we'll, we'll continue another week. Look at verse 20. And he lifted up his eyes of disciples and said, Blessed are ye poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. He said, look, if you feel yourself disadvantaged, hey, uh, you're, in the, you're in the kingdom of God, and God's got all this. He's got this taken care of. If you find yourself, you don't have what you need or what, what someone else has, or you find yourself in a disadvantaged state, he said, rejoice. You're in the kingdom of God. God's, God knows exactly where you are. You don't have to wonder about that. Look at the next thing he says. How about those? Blessed are ye that hunger now, for ye shall be filled. Blessed are ye that weep now, for ye shall laugh. And those of you who are going through stress, and you'll always, there will be times when you don't feel like you have what you need. You, may, you feel like, I need a companion, and I don't have one right now. Or I need finances, and I feel broke. And I am broke. Uh, you know, uh, you know, I, I feel like that I, I don't have what I need. I feel poor or I feel stressed. He said, and by the way, if you're ever really hungry, that's, that's stressful. You know, I, I spoken to a couple just recently. They're going to get married. And I said, listen, if you have an argument, don't have it when you first come home at night. Eat first. When your sugar is low, you're irritable, you're stressed, bad time to discuss problems. Okay, let's sit down and eat and calm down, then we can talk about things. He said, if you're hungry now, or you're, you're low now, he said, you're, you're in distress, don't worry, God's got this. Because they will be in times where they don't have what they need. You'll have times like that. Look at the next thing, verse number 22. Blessed are ye when men shall what? And when they shall separate from you their company, and they shall reproach you and cast out your name as evil. For the Son of Man's sake, rejoice in that day and leap for what? He said, whenever you are detested by people, when you're stressed out, when you, are, you, you, don't, you don't have what you really feel like you need, you find yourself poor or stressed or even detested where it seems like you're always the odd man out. Talked to someone recently and it just, they, they were telling me about their family, their family dynamics. And they're the only family in their, in, their, in, their, in their extended family that's a Christian. And every, every, every place else, there's drinking, there's foul, there's foul music, foul language. And their family gives them the dickens of a time. They make fun of their dad. They make fun of their mom. They make fun of their kids. They make fun of their dress. They make fun of their schedule. And for years and years, they did that. And it hurt them bad. Because everything within us doesn't want to stand out. It wants to blend in. We want to be accepted, not rejected. And he said, look, if you're going to follow me, you've got to realize there's going to be times where you're not going to have what you need, but you're going to be in the kingdom of God. You're going to find some stress. But you're going to be sorrowful now, but you can laugh later. You're going to be hungry now, but you're going to be filled later. There's going to be times where you're not going to be accepted in this world. You and I, as child of God, we're swimming up against the, the flow of the world. 
Any old dead fish can float downstream. But if you're a child of God, you're going to have to be up against it. You're up against the flesh, you're up against the world, and you're up against the devil. And all of his lies and his, and his jokes and his hardships and, and his men will wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived as we get closer to the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Figure it out. And toughen up and be strong in the inner man. He's telling them that. He said, look, if this is going on in your life, rejoice. Be of great joy. Continue the reading, if you would, please. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great where? What is he doing with the disciples, his servants? He said, look, I want you to look past the nasty now and now to heavenly rewards. Now, every once in a while, we get a clown who doesn't believe in, in heavenly rewards. And I don't know what they do with a verse like that. Oh, there's no heavenly rewards. And I've got other people there. You don't have to ask God to forgive you for anything. You're forgiven. You live in holiness because you've been saved, and you don't have to ask God to forgive. I don't know where they're reading. Even in the even in the 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 the, the model prayer, Jesus taught us to pray, "Father, forgive us as we forgive those who trespass against us." And He's not talking to unsaved people. Some squirrely squirrely doctrine that flies around from time to time. By the way, the way you can deal with that is to make sure you know true doctrine. You know what the Bible says, and you can kind of figure out that this guy has been drinking his bathwater over here, and I'm not going to listen to him anymore. I'm not going to read that blog. I'm not going to go back to that same stupid YouTube channel and listen to him, you know, spout off about things he's, new truth he's found. There's nothing new. Don't get bored with the basics. And if you do something wrong, admit it and quit it to God. <laughs> Confess it and forsake it. Ask him to forgive you. It's something God wants us to do. But he also wants to reward us in heaven. Remember this, and I've shared it with you a thousand times, but without faith, it's impossible to please God because him that comes to God must believe two things about God, that he is who he said he was. He's the Savior and the ransom for all, and he can pay for my sin. Number two, that he is a rewarder of them that would diligently seek him and rewarding in this lifetime and in the lifetime to come. You know what helps us get through difficult times today? is when we keep a view on eternity. What, what did Jesus say in, in Hebrews chapter 12? It says, um, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finish of our self, our set for, the author and finish of our faith, who for the, that was set before him. What was that joy? He endured what? The cross. Despised the shame. He took the embarrassment. He took all that went with that. You know Why? Because he knows there's a better ending. He knows that you and I can live eternally with him. There's going to be a joy of reunion, a joy of heaven, a joy of eternal rewards that come as a result of that. We need to close, but let's look at verse 23. Great is your reward in heaven. For in like manner did also the fathers under the prophets. Verse 24. But woe unto you that are what? Rich. For we shall receive your consolation. He said, be careful. Watch out for prosperity. Now, just say this is a casual warning, okay? All of us think about money every day. Okay, all of it. I do, you do. We need money. How many need money? How many need more money? Would you raise your hand? Okay, very good. Yeah, we, we all want money. We need money to operate. Watch out for prosperity. And when God raises your standard, your, your give, your, he increases you, raise your standard of giving, not just your standard of living. And decide, you know, okay, God, this is what this is. You, you don't, I don't have this now, so what can I do? 
What can I do with you? Be careful for prosperity. He said, look, if you want to revel in riches, you have the comfort for a short time in this lifetime. Enjoy your comfort. But you're going to trade something that you could have for all eternity. And of course, James chapter 1, James said it hard. In chapter 5, he said, you rich men, you people that save too much, weep and howl for the misery that's going to come upon you. I'm like, what are you talking about? Yeah, yeah, I'll tell you what. Your, your clothes are moth-eaten. You know, where, you know where moths are? They're in closets where there's too many clothes that haven't been moved for a while. They need to be matriculated and given out and shared with somebody else. Because your gold and silver's cankered. It's turned green in your bags. You're saving it. And you're going to die, and it's going to die with you. It's just going to stay, and you won't be able to put it, you won't be able to help anybody. And one day when you stand before God, your, your moth-eaten clothes are going to come up as a witness against you. Your 401k is going to, you died and left it to give to someone who's not even going to tithe off of it. You don't want to give it to the things of God. It's going to be one day a witness against you. Because you didn't know when enough was enough. Now, I'm not trying to be unkind, friend. I'm just telling you. That he's saying, look, if you want to live in riches, enjoy it. But be careful about prosperity. Number two, he said, be careful about pleasure. Look at the next verse, if we can, please. For woe unto you, verse 25, woe unto you that are full, for ye shall hunger. Woe unto you that laugh now. It's all about the party. For ye shall mourn and weep. He said, if, you're go, if, if, if you just want the comfort zone, you just want to have it your way and you want to make sure that you're comfortable and I deserve to be happy, he said, okay. You're going to have some sorrow later on that you don't have to have. It doesn't mean you have to hurt yourself or, you know, hedonism and just, just always I have to have the lowest life. I can't have anything. No, I'm not telling you that. But he said, he said there's something going on here. So be careful about prosperity. Be careful about the love of pleasure. And then the last thing he says, be careful about popularity. Would you look at verse number 26? Woe unto you when all men speak well of you. For so did your fa their fathers to the, the false prophets. He said, be careful doing things that you just think are popular and trying to get everybody else to, 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 to like you. He said, because that's not going to be the story of the true servants of Christ. And I think after he chooses a 12, he sits them down and says, let me tell you, the way I think is different than the way you think. The comfort zone you have in your mind, that's not what I have in my mind. The comfort zone is going to be later. Rewards in heaven. Learn to live for me now. Don't get caught up in prosperity. Don't get caught up in pleasure. Don't get caught up in popularity. I just, want to, I just don't want to be standing. I want to be cool. What we need to do is to be committed to the Lord while we wait for his son from heaven. And he'll tell, he'll go through the whole, we'll, we'll look at it some more times, and we'll see, he's going to tell them, because now you're my apostles now, you're my disciples, here's how we think. We march to the beat of a different drum. We have a different way, because we have a reward in heaven. We have a heavenly father, we have a purpose, we have a power, we have a responsibility. And it's about, it's about global conquest. I want the whole world to hear about Christ. And uh, Jesus is teaching the disciples here 2,000 years ago. How many of you is teaching me a lesson and you a lesson tonight? I mean, I think we can, we can apply that. We can put these shoes on, can't we?
Let's ask God to help us. Let's pray together, can we?